0: You are listening to audio from Summit Community Church. You can join us Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. on our YouTube channel at SCC Morganton. Good morning. It's great to be here. Um, when I walked in, several of you asked if I, if I was Gordon so. My dad spoke here a few weeks ago, I believe, and uh, I was hoping he would have set the bar real low for me, but it was, so oh, excited to hear you, your dad did so well. so uh, it is good to know that um, the ground's already been toiled a, a little bit. And uh, my, my dad told a little bit about our family story. I think he showed a video to you guys of how my Uncle Phil came to Christ, and my mom was a big part of that who passed on a few years ago of early-onset dementia, and it just really is a, an incredible story. Uh, we, I, I am going to give the shameless plug here. We actually turned that story into a movie that's going to be released this year, uh, September 29th of 2023. Would love for you guys to go watch it when it comes out. If you want to know more about it, it's called The Blind. And you can check it out on theblindmovie.com, and we're going to have updates and stuff. But it's just a a beautiful story of redemption and and God's faithfulness, and that no person has gone too far to where God can't heal them, redeem them, save them, bring them back. And, of course, you guys know the end of the story with my family. um, And everyone now is is doing ministry, which I love. Uh, We get to be a part of that on a local level at churches like this right here. I'm in Swananoa uh, Christian Church. I preach about every every four weeks there, uh, one of the pastors there, and um, and just love seeing God's people move both locally and and globally. Uh, it, it, it's, it's just a great thing to be a part of. Uh, this morning, I, I want to hone in on this verse up here, that eternal life. I want to give a, a description of e- eternal life, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give this description, or Jesus' description of it, uh, and then we're going to go through an Old Testament story that kind of put some context and make this a, a tangible expression uh, for us to hold on to. Um, notice here behind me that the eternal life, the way Jesus describes it, it's, it's a quality of life. It's, it's not just about quantity. It's a particular quality. And, and I, wanna, I want us to hone in on what is that quality of, of life that makes it eternal. Jesus said here that eternal life is to know the only true God, which we would know to be the triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, and and then Jesus Christ, who would be the incarnation of that God, like God in flesh, Emmanuel, God with us, uh, whom God the Father sent. And so eternal life is relational. Eternal life is to actually know God in a personal way. And you say, man, when, when does that happen? When does that happen? Because so often when we talk about eternal life, it's something that's way out there. And when I got into college ministry about 15 years ago, I noticed like it's not a very compelling gospel to say, hey, come to Jesus, and then grind it out for 80 years, and then you get eternal life. And they're like, well, what about now? What about right now? Well, well, thanks be to God, that's not the biblical definition of eternal life. It's something that we're waiting on that's way out here. Eternal life, because it's a knowledge of who God is, it's a personal relationship with him, it's walking with him, being connected with him, intimacy with God, union with Christ, that can happen right now, that can happen today, so we can experience God right here while we're on planet earth, man, what an amazing thing, so I, I want to I put some meat on that, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to um, Genesis chapter 22, because when we think about knowing somebody in, a, in that kind of way, like think about your own life, think about the people that you're closest to. What is it about them that makes you close to them? What is it about your, you and your husband or your wife or your kids or your best friend? Like, wh- wh- Why do you want to be around that person and be in, in community with them? And I, and I would probably guarantee you that one thing that you have in that relationship is trust. Right? You trust them. You believe that they want what, what's best for you. They're not going to harm you, although sometimes we do harm each other. I've been married for over 20 years, and there's been times that my wife has been mean to me right she struggles with that guys and there's been uh, and me too right we both there's there's been times I've manipulated her that she's manipulated me but 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 overall what connects us is there's a bond there and there's a certain level of trust and so if we're going to talk about knowing god in this way then we need to understand what it means to trust god to have faith in god because there's a difference between uh, uh, believing in God and then believing God. There's a big difference. And Abraham shows us that difference because he was the father of faith, the one that we look to. We want to model our faith after after the biblical story of Abraham. How can I really put my trust in Jesus? Before we get into the story of Abraham, I want to read Proverbs 3, verse 5 and 6, which says to trust the Lord with all your heart and to not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. This is not, by the way, a, a dismissing of understanding and intellectually pursuing God. Well, all he's saying here is, is that don't lean on your own understanding. Like In all your ways put your trust in Jesus. But how do I do that? How do I put my faith, how do I put my trust in this God, as I said, it's not enough just to, to believe in God, because James chapter 2 says that the demons believed God. They be- you believe that God is one? James says, you do well. The demons also believe and shudder. It's not enough to just to believe in God. We must believe God. How many of you in here believe that if you get on an airplane and Charlotte, to fly to Atlanta on a 45 minute flight, how many of you believe you would survive? Any hands? Yeah, we, 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 all, we all believe that we, th- th- this is an acceptable fact, to, to believe that most likely we're gonna survive if we get on the plane. But to accept the facts is not enough to save you. If you really wanna get to Atlanta in 45 minutes, what are you gonna have to do? You're actually gonna have to go to Charlotte, get on the airplane, do y'all have an airport? You don't have an airport here, do you? So we're in Asheville. Go to Asheville. You got to get on. You got to get on an airplane. You got to actually get on the airplane. You got to take a seat, and you got to believe that you got to do it. You got to move. You got to go. And then if you do that, then you'll get to Atlanta in forty-five minutes. And in the same way, if we trust in God, we must not just believe in God. We must believe Him, and then that must be followed up with action. Romans chapter four says it this way: What shall we say then? Abraham, our faith, our, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found. And this is in the context of talking about faith and trusting God. What, what did he find out about this? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For this, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages is not, cre- uh, is not credited as a favor, but what is due. If you, if you go, go to work every day... And, 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 uh, and you have an agreement with your boss or your employer, you get this thing every, every two weeks or every month, or whatever the arrangement is, called a paycheck, right? If, if the boss doesn't pay you, how many of you, how many of you in here just like, oh, I'm good. No, no, you're, you're going to call your, your employer. If your paycheck doesn't show up, you're going to call to make sure that you get paid what is due because you earned that money that's owed to you because of what you did. So that's how it works. When you're when you're talking about a job, but to the one who does not work, but believes in Him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteous. Just just as David also speaks of the blessing on the man whom God credits righteousness apart from work. So, what does all that mean? Well, it means we can we can pursue God in two different ways. We can say, God, the humanistic route. I'm an employee. Raise my hands up with all my good works. God, here's what I've done. Now, now give me what I deserve. Of course, there's a problem with that, right? Because if you ask God to give you what you deserve, we know the biblical truth is that we all deserve death. Romans 6, uh, 3.23 and 6.23. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. So I'm not going to go to God and say, God, give me what I deserve. So I might want to choose plan B, which is the Christian response, which is I just say, God, I believe what you have revealed to me to be true. I believe it. I believe you're faithful. I believe you're good. Romans four sixteen. For this reason, it is by faith in order that it might not be in accordance with grace so that the promise will be guaranteed to all the descendants, not only to those who are under the law, but also those who are under the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. In hope, against all hope, he believed. This is the story of Abraham. You guys remember the story so that he might become the father of many nations according to that which he had spoken, so shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak in the faith, he contemplated his own body, now good as death, since he was about a hundred years old, and then the deadness of Sarah's womb, yet with respect to the promise, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in his faith, giving glory to God, and being fully assured that uh, that, what God had promised, he was also able to perform. Therefore, it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but also for us, to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he who was delivered over because of our transgressions and was raised because of our justification. So, so what is all that? Because that's in the New Testament. That's Romans chapter 4. That's Paul giving us Abraham as the example, as the prototype of how we are to, to respond to God in faith. And so what, what does all that mean? Well, let's just back up a little bit to the Old Testament and let's, let's talk about what this promise is. Uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 5 and 6 says, And he took him outside and he said, Now look toward the heavens, and I want you to count the stars if you're able to count them. And he said to him, so shall your descendants be. Now think about that. That's a big deal to look up in the stars and and to be able to just, you can't count them all, but if you could, he said, that's how many descendants I'm going to give you. Well, we have a big problem with that because of what happened just a few chapters later. In chapter 22 of Genesis, God told Abraham, I want you to take your, your son, your only son, and I want you to do something. I want you to go offer him on an altar on the top of this mountain. I want you to sacrifice him. I want you to kill him. And, and this is going to be a way that you're going to worship me. And, and, and we say, well, man, why would God do that? Well, this, again, if you look at it isolated, yeah, then it's going to seem ridiculous. But when you look at this story in the grand narration of Scripture, it makes perfect sense what was going on here. Genesis 22, verse 1 and 8 says this. Now, it came about after these things that God tested Abraham. And he said, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering, and he arose and he went out to the place that God told him and on the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey and I and the lad, his son Isaac, we're going to go over there and we will worship, listen to this, and we'll return to you. Oh, wait wait a second, I thought you were going to kill him. So you're already getting a little glimpse of what we're going to get to, of, the, of, of what it means to have the faith of Abraham. Abraham knew he was going to sacrifice his son over there, but he also knew that he was going to come back. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, he laid it on, um, on Isaac, his son, and he, and he took his hand, uh, in his hand the fire the knife, and the two of them walked together, Abraham and Isaac. Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and he said, My father, and he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said this, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together. Now let's just stop for a moment with this story, and let's just at least acknowledge the conundrum. This, there's a dilemma here, right? Does, does anybody see the dilemma? Okay, I'm going to back up a little bit further. If, if, if you're going to have grandkids, here's, here's the rule of thumb. you got to have a kid first, right? We all know that. I have five kids, so I'm going to have a lot of grandkids. If, you, if, if I'm going to have grandkids, grandkids come from, from your own children. And, and Abraham had one child. He had his only son, Isaac. So, if he's, so so on one end, you have, you have kill Isaac, the one through which you're going to have a bunch of grandkids. On the other hand, it's, it's, um, you're going to have a bunch of grandkids. Kill the one that's going to give you the grandkids. You're going to have a, more grandkids than you can count stars in the sky. These are two things that God said. And Abraham's looking at this, and any, any logical person would have to say, one of these things cannot be true, right? Both of these can't be true at the same time, God. Because if I kill my son, uh, my only son, then I can't, and you told me that it was through this son that I was going to have a bunch of grandchildren. And So if I killed that, that son, then, then I can't have grandkids. God, whoa, God, this is not going to work out. Look, can we have a meeting? Can we talk about this? I don't think you understand what you're... God, do you know how this works? I, mean, I can just imagine if this was me. But Abraham was not like me. Abraham was a man of faith. Abraham was a prototype for our faith and in this story we get an understanding of what faith is because we use this term all the time. Put your faith in Jesus. And we don't even know what that means. Put your faith in it. What does that even mean? This is what it means. What we're describing here is the the quality of life that God offers us in Him through our faith in Him. So so what what was Abraham thinking? Well, first of all, we know that In his mind, he was trying to figure this out because he said this, stay here with the donkey, this is in verse 5 of chapter 22, and I and the lab will go over there, and we will worship and return back. So we're getting a glimpse of what Abraham's thinking, right? We're going to go do this, we're going to have this thing over here, and then we're going to come back. Well, how is that even possible? How is it possible for Abraham to take Isaac over here, kill him, and then them both return Abraham, I don't think you understand what's going on either. And we wouldn't know any further about his, his um, rationality of this if it hadn't been for the Hebrew writer, which further clarified in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 and 18, it tells us exactly what Abraham was thinking. By faith, Abraham, by faith, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he had received, uh, who, had, who he had received the promises. Think about that. He offered up Isaac, who had received the promises of having a lot of grandkids. He offered him up his only begotten son. And it was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Again, going back to that dilemma. I know, I know I'm, I'm being redundant here, but I want us to see the problem and the dilemma, and then I want us to see Abraham's solution. What was Abraham's solution? Verse 19. He considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Whoa! Abraham reasoned that God would raise Isaac from the dead. So in Abraham's mind, this is what he was thinking. I'm going to go up to the mountaintop, I'm going to take the knife out. I'm going to put him on the altar. I'm going to plunge the knife in his heart. I guess I'm going to set the thing on fire, burn him up, and then somehow God's going to raise him from the dead, and then we're coming back down the mountain. Is that not awesome? That's the kind of faith that God is asking us to have. But here's the question. Do you believe God can raise the dead? I do. I do. But in this particular case, did God raise Isaac back from the dead? Is that how it went down? No. Nah. I, mean, I mean, in a way, yeah, metaphorically, and there's a prototype there. But, but, what, but what Abraham had imagined in his mind of how God was going to fulfill his promise is not how God fulfilled his promise. In fact, he got up there, and we know what happened. He put Isaac on the altar. And he came back with a knife to plunge it into his heart. And what did God say? Stop. Stop. He said, look over there in the thicket. I have provided a ram, a substitution, substitutionary penal atonement. That there is a payment. There's there's another way to do this. I'm going to put someone else is going to die in his place. I you see the foreshadowing, by the way, of the gospel? Right? There, There was a substitutionary ram, a lamb that was offered on behalf of our sin who was crucified on a cross. Isaac carried his own wood. Jesus carried his own wooden cross up a hill. Both, the similarities here are incredible. But I love the fact that the way that Abraham had figured this would happen is not the way that it happened, which is the point. Here's the point. So what is faith? Faith is not knowing how God is going to fulfill his promise. It's knowing who God is, that he will fulfill his promise. You get that? I don't have to know how God's going to do things. He said, man, how is God going to get me out of this jam? Man, how is God, Man, if I submit this part of my life over to him, man, I don't even know how that's going to work, right? And you can imagine, and, and it's fun to try to guess how God's going to work. And sometimes we get it right. Most of the time we get it wrong, particularly because we can't fathom what God has prepared for those who love him, right? But, but we don't know how God's going to do what God's going to do, but we can rest in the fact that God will do it. But how do I do that? How do I trust in that? How do I trust that even in that? I can't even trust the, 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 the who, Zach. I mean, forget the how. I mean, I don't know. How do I? I don't believe that God really has my best interest at in heart. And I'm struggling with doubt and fear and, and knowing that God's big enough or good enough. And I just, I don't know. I don't know how to deal with all that. I'm here to tell you, I, like, I, my, my, I'm a professional doubter. I have struggled with doubt in my life so much. Um, and, and as I've walked with Christ for you know, over 25 years now, I will tell you that the doubts that I had at 21 years old, are, I don't have those same level of doubts at 45. You say, why? What's changed? Well, I began to understand part of the scripture in Romans chapter 4, verse 20. That gives us another way, kind of the how, how do we increase in that kind of faith? I want the faith of Abraham. I want to be able to look at things that seem impossible. And, and, and I'm and, but, but I want to try to find how I man, I want to try to guess how God's gonna reconcile it, but I know God will because God is who he says he is. And I don't want to have that kind of faith that Abraham has, but I don't. So what, how did Abraham get that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 4. It says no, verse 20, no belief made him waver concerning the promise of God. You say, "Well, I don't want to waver concerning the promise of God. Like, I want, to, I want to stand firm in the promise of God. Like, how? Right here. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. That's the ESV translation. And I love that translation because I love that, that one little word. As Abraham's faith increased, Abraham's faith increased, grew strong as he gave glory to God. So what can I do, what can I do to increase my faith? You can give glory to God, even when you don't feel like it. You can give glory to God because because the inverse of this is is helpful in seeing this, which is when you don't give glory to God, think about your own life. Do we have any sinners in here? I'm just curious. Do we have anybody in here who has done stuff that they're like, man, that did not. That was, a, that was a bonehead move. Anybody besides me. Anyone indulge themselves in sensuality, drunkenness, uh, gossip, slander, all the acts of the simple nature. I, I, anybody in here that you said, I'm just going to go down that route. Here's the question. Because that's the opposite of giving, uh, giving glory to God, right? The inverse of giving glory to God is giving glory to yourself and puffing yourself up. Yeah, serving yourself. So here's the question you ready? This is profound right here. This is deep. How has that worked out for you? How has that worked out for you? We adopted a little girl. I didn't plan on saying this this morning, but I think I can share this with you. We adopted a little girl a couple years ago. Uh, She was born prematurely. Her her birth mother was addicted to, to drugs. Um, meth, uh, Xanax, I don't know what else that she was on, um, doing everything else that goes with that lifestyle. And her birth mother, who we pray for and pray that God's going to move on in, the, in this situation one day, her birth, and her birth mother, birth mother did the right thing by choosing life. So we, we hold her up in very high esteem. And, and our, heart breaks, our heart breaks for her because you know what she's done with her life? She said, I'm, I'm going to pursue pleasure at all costs. I, if it feels good, I'm going after it. And I'm telling you today that her life is in shambles. We had to test our daughter recently for hepatitis C and a lot of other things, and praise the Lord, she was, didn't have anything. But it was, but it was, but it was because of this lifestyle. When I said, man, when I just pursue what I want, I just go after it with everything that I have, like what does that look like if we were just if we were just to do that and it doesn't look good it doesn't look like life. What does it look like? It looks like death, it smells like death and if you have any, if you know people that who have been uh, gripped by these things, and you know what I'm talking about. I lost my first cousin to a fentanyl overdose a few years ago. It didn't work out well, and our heart breaks and our family wept, and we were just i mean just in mourning. I still mourn for for my, my cousin. We were really close. You say, man, that's the inverse of giving glory to God. So the opposite of that would be that I give glory to God, and then I taste, and I see that the Lord is good. I taste it, and I say, man, that tastes good. And you know what I do when I taste things that are good? I go back for seconds, and, and, and with God, the, the good news is when you taste and see the goodness of the Lord and you go back for seconds, you don't get, you don't get full. You're not like, whoo, man, I need to go take it. No, you're like, I want more. I'm going to go back for thirds. And I want to go back for fourths and fifths and sixths. And, and, and God is, we would never consume the full glory of God. We would never like exhaust the goodness of God, and that is awesome because that means that no matter if we start walking down this trajectory, as we give glory to God, we see His goodness, we see His bigness, we see this God that is beautiful, and it's what's realized in this story of Isaac and the father, Abraham, the father of our faith. But I want you to also notice some some similarities here between Jesus and Isaac because there's more to this story than just that. Jesus and Isaac were both beloved sons. Genesis twenty-one 22-1 says, Isaac said, uh, Here I am. Matthew 3, verse 17, This is my son whom I'm well pleased. Number two, Jesus, Jesus and Isaac, as I mentioned earlier, both carried wood on their backs that would be the vehicle of their death. Genesis 22-6, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on, Isaac's, uh, on, on Isaac his son, and he took his hand the fire and the knife, so the two of them walked together. John 19, verse 17, they took Jesus therefore and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew Golgotha. Number three, Jesus and Isaac both obeyed their fathers. Genesis 22, verse 3, it says, Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey and two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place God had told him. Matthew 26, And he went a little further beyond them and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Father, my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Number four, God the Father and Father Abraham were both willing to sacrifice their own son. Genesis 22, verse 8, Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked together, John chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming to him and he said, Behold the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And number five, God provides the sacrifice of the lamb in substitution for us. So what do we do with this? What does it mean? And what does eternal life look like? Well, I just got a few applications here. When you get so devastated, you ever get devastated at like, the direction of the country and, and maybe you get bogged down in, in your political allegiances and, and, and you're so devastated by it? Like, what do you do with that? Well, we believe what God said, that we belong to a kingdom They can't be shaken or destroyed. That's what what we do. We believe God, even in the midst of all of it. We believe God. Or my friend who was in Afghanistan when when it fell, and what what do you do if you're a Christian in Afghanistan and the Taliban's knocking at your door and all seems lost? We believe God when he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. Or, Or what do we do when the allure of what's behind a screen seems so powerful. We believe God who says, flee from sexual immorality. We believe Him. We believe that He has something better for us. What do we do when we feel the overwhelming urge to make sure that justice is served to the one who hurt us? and We're consumed by it. We believe God who says, it's mine to avenge. Well, why don't we do this? We don't do it because we don't either think God's big enough or we don't think God is good enough. But if God is big enough to create the whole universe with a spoken word, guess what? He's big enough to handle my problem. Stephen Hawking, who is an atheist, was an atheist, wrote in Brief History of Time that the universe has a beginning. And he said, guess what, folks? If the universe has a beginning, then there's a God who created it all. So therefore, we got to figure out how we prove that the universe didn't have a beginning. They never, they never figured out how to do that, by the way. But he, he recognized that, that there's a God who initiated all of this. And there's a God who initiated the, the, the expanse of the universe. If he's big enough to do that, he's big enough to handle my sin. What about good enough? Well, we believe that God is good enough. First Corinthians chapter 2 says, What no eye has seen and no ear has heard, nor the heart of man imagined, this right here, what God has prepared for those who love him. God has prepared great things for people who love him. Or Psalms 34 says, "O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Taste the Lord and see that he's good. This is how Abraham grew as he gave glory to God because he's tasting the goodness of God. Like newborn infants, Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, long for pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up, into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good, are you catching this? The quality of life that we started with in John seventeen three—that's where we started. That's where we're going to end, right? John seventeen three: Eternal life is to know the one true God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ, His Son, whom He sent. What does that even mean? It means that I know, I know Him in a way that I'm tasting in the goodness of who this God is. I'm tasting in the goodness of who God is. So we wind up kind of where we started years ago when I was a kid. You say, "How do I know that? How do I do that?" Well, you don't do anything to earn your salvation. Yeah, you know, you don't do anything to earn favor with God. You don't. Francis Schaeffer said, "We come to God. Guess what? We come with empty hands. We raise our empty hands of faith because we're not bringing anything to the table, but..." That doesn't mean that we don't do anything. We do stuff, right? We read our Bibles. It's kind, of, it's kind of back to the basics. Prayer, Bible study, meeting with God on a daily basis. You know what's funny? When I look back at my life when I'm, when I'm really experiencing tranquility, when I'm really experiencing what my Uncle Phil calls the, a peace of mind, which is the rarest of all commodities. When, I, when I'm really experiencing peace of mind, you know what's also present in my life at that moment? Daily rhythms. Daily rhythms, the mundane, right? We're waiting for this big experience to happen. I, I want the big experience. And look, I've had the experiences, not against them. They're amazing, but big experiences are not enough to sustain us. We need the mundane. We need the rhythm. We need the daily meditations because eternal life is relational. It's to know the one true God. It's a quality of knowing God on an intimate level. And if you told me right now, Zach, you've been married 20-something 20, 20 years, 22 years, if I, just, I just want you to get with Jill for the big experiences. Don't worry about the mundane. Don't worry about the, 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 the morning coffees that you have together. That's just, that's, it's, it's coffee, right? It's just the morning coffee, not a big deal right? Yeah, don't do that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about like, being there when, when, when things are, are tough and it's not fun, you know? When your marriage is hard and, and, you, and you need to just show up. I think it was Woody Allen said that uh, 80% of success is just showing up, right? Don't worry about that. Just show up for the big show. Show up for the big dance. That's all you got to do, man. Make sure you can about once a quarter, you can have some big blow up thing, right? And can you imagine what my marriage would look like if I'd done that for 22 years? Well, I know what it would look like. I wouldn't be talking about my marriage of 22 years. It would have ended. Why? Because it's in the mundane. It's in the morning coffee. It's in the the things that aren't the big show. Those are the things that lead to the big experience, right? So what is eternal life? That's what it is. Some of us in here, maybe we hadn't had that in a while. And I think it's good... To confess that. I think that's why we have an altar down here in churches so there's that, that, that tangible uh, physical posturing of our body before God Again, getting on our knees in submission and just saying, God God it's you but if you're, if you're here today and you're like man I, I just need to I, need to I need to come back to just the basics of the Christian faith there's an altar down here that's waiting for you To come down here, confess that to the Lord. I'm sure it happened in the first service. I saw someone come down here. Another person came down and put their hand on and prayed with him. I love that. That's the kingdom. That's the church, right? We're going to offer that time now. Thank you for tuning in to this week's sermon. For more information about Summit Community Church, please check out our website at summitchurch.me or on social media on Facebook or Instagram at SCCMorganton.